0: Remember that darkness simply requires another way of seeing. Be your own light, and just like that, you'll find yourself everywhere, instantly. Quan We Ride Upon Sticks. Welcome to Books in the Freezer, a podcast dedicated to the deliciously disturbing world of horror fiction. I'm your host, Stephanie, and today I'm joined by author, poet, and instructor, Stephanie Wajtovich, to discuss witches in fiction. Stephanie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I am so excited to talk to you about this because it's a topic that has been requested and I know that you know a lot about this, so I'm very excited. (laughs) (laughs) I'm excited to talk about it. (laughs) Well, you teach a class on witch fiction. So what are some of the tenets or common components of like what we would call a witch story?
1: Yeah, so I think um, there's a couple different archetypes that I like to focus on in class. Um, The four that I mainly focus on when I'm teaching um, are the hunted, the isolated, the enraged, and the fabled. So depending on what type of, you know, which story somebody wants to tell, we're going to probably be working in, you know, with at least one of those, maybe more (laughs) at the same time um, of those archetypes to kind of flesh out the character and kind of tell us what kind of witch he or she is.
0: Okay, so is there stories that don't have a witch, like on the page, but that those archetypes would, like, apply to them.
1: Oh, yeah, totally. So I I know when I first posted... So I started teaching the class as, like, a 15-week undergraduate class at Point Park University, which I was, like, super pumped because I thought no one in their right mind would ever let me teach a witch (laughs) class. Um, And I remember when I posted my reading list on Twitter, I had everybody was, like, coming for me, and they were kind of arguing because I had Carrie by Stephen King on there. And they were like, in no way, shape, or form is that a witch book. And I was like, I'm I'm pretty sure it is. (laughs) And, And it's kind of interesting because, you know, Carrie is this enraged, you know, female character. And I mean, she's telekinetic. She has these she has these powers that she doesn't understand. And we kind of see her getting more and more empowered, you know, maybe not for, <laughs> for everybody's benefit, you know, throughout <laughs> the book. Um, but we see her kind of coming to terms with who she is and that, that type of like acceptance of identity. Um, and, you know, we see that in like Robert Eager's, the witch, things like that. Um, that really kind of feeds into the archetype of the witch too. So it doesn't ne- necessarily have to be, you know, a woman or a man who has legitimate powers or, you know, who's riding a broomstick or has a, you know, a cottage in the, you know, the backwoods somewhere. Um, But this kind of like acceptance of power and kind of, you know, return to kind of to nature or to like our natural instincts and habitats, like kind of like some full core tropes in there too, I think kind of fleshes
0: that out a little bit as well. I like that. That's very interesting. I can definitely see that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And it's, you know, it's kind of
1: cool because when I first, so I've been researching, you know, the archetype of the witch for, I don't know, maybe about five years, five or so years now. Um, I I don't think I'll ever stop, honestly, at this point. And I was teaching a grad class um, this semester and we were doing um, young adult fiction. And I had assigned, in no way, shape, or form, you know, planning to talk about The Witch, White Oleander by Janet Fitch. Okay. And the more that my student and I kept kind of reading through it, I was like, this, like, Ingrid, you know, the mother character in the book, like, she's a thousand percent a witch. She, like, she's, she's working with cycles, and she's manipulative, and she's kind of, like, she's using her power and seduction to kind of get people to ebb and flow the way that she wants. So even though she's not traditionally you know, somebody that we would look at and say, oh, witch, you know, she has, she has this confidence and this empowerment, and she uses it to sway opinion. And, you know, she's, she's probably not a very good witch. if We're gonna, you know, <laughs> go with that archetype. But she, um, she certainly kind of fits in with all of those kind of character traits. So I thought that was like, now I'm finding the witch in places I never would have, you know, ever thought to find her, which is kind of yeah. cool. That is cool. Do you think Amy Dunn would be a witch? She, you know what? It's it's been a while since I've read the book or watched the movie. Um, but I I think she I think she kind of could. I think that would be a fun. Maybe I'll read yeah. that this summer again and kind of see see what I can pull. <laughs> um, yeah, cuz I mean, she definitely the way she kind of I don't want to say like the witch is like a gaslighting horrible human <laughs> like yeah, kind no, of she's... like she is, <laughs> but she but the way that she kind of willed her identity Um, and uses it for power, and she kind of manipulates, you know, time and space and people and everything like that. She's very methodical, like it it could, it could totally work. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, for sure. Oh, that's cool. (laughs) What draws you in to stories about witches? So I, let's see here. So around the time
1: that I started researching the witch, I had been kind of flirting with the occult for quite some time. Um, And it was interesting because the more that I researched the witch in fiction and in film and stuff like that, the more I started to kind of find some camaraderie and like find myself in my own identity kind of wrapped up and intertwined uh, within her. And like I said, you know, I you can kind of find the witch in a lot of places that you might not suspect. So the more that I started to kind of think about it, I noticed like this has kind of always been a part of a part of who I am um, back from the first time I watched the craft. I mean, it's just kind of always like that interest of the occult and kind of what's out there um, has always kind of been brimming. But I was raised a very, very strict, staunch Catholic. So I was told to stay the hell away from all of that. <laughs> and I did for a very long time until, you know, I, I kind of grew up and got away from some of that. Um, And so the more that I started researching it, I started going to actual witches and I started listening to a whole bunch of different podcasts. I read, you know, Pam Grossman's Waking the Witch. I was, you know, Gabriella Hurstic. I started following her on um, on Instagram and, you know, a whole host of other um, practicing witches. And I was like, this is this is a 1000% my thing. Like I feel at <laughs> home here. I feel like I get this. I want to be around it 24 um, seven. And it, so it kind of shifted a lot of like my interest in my spiritual practices. And then that kind of line between, okay, this is research for, you know, academia versus <laughs> this is just who I am now completely disappeared. Um, and so I really, you know, the idea of empowerment is really um, refreshing to me, especially because like I said, you know, as, as a former recovering Catholic, I, um, in no shade to people who still practice Catholicism, like it's very intertwined in who I am as a person. And even in my practice still today. Um, but I like the idea that it, there's more, you know, sexual positivity, you know, and, and paganism and witchcraft, there's more, you know, kind of female empowerment. You don't have to really suppress rage. I feel like, um, the line of mental health and self-care just in general for however people interpret that in the occult is something that's very focused on like shadow work and stuff like that so when i see it in books and films and then you know in in my day-to-day practice i just i'm all over it (laughs) it just it's it just it seems so positive and enriching and um you know it fuels me creatively and stuff like that and it just makes me
0: feel like honestly like i'm a better version of myself these days so, with your research and you know taking in all this witch media, what do you think has been probably the most accurate portrayal of like true to life witchcraft?
1: That's tough, <laughs> uh, especially in horror.
0: That's yeah, <laughs> like it's um, a little.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, <sighs> I, you know, I recently watched Pie Wacket. I did a rewatch because I was listening to a Faculty of Horror episode on it. And the more that I watch that movie, the more that I think it's it's fairly accurate. I mean, there's like the jump scares and the stuff, you know, that we all want as horror fans. Yeah. But there's also part of me that's like, yeah, maybe that maybe that could happen. Maybe this isn't like, maybe this isn't necessarily just to scare people. Maybe it's actually to scare them so they don't do what this girl is doing. Um, so I think that one would be probably one that I would, would recommend to people because, you know, she's, she's kind of, you know, doing these spells and these rituals from a place of like anger and rage. Um, she doesn't really know what she's doing. She's just kind of (laughs) putting it out there and kind of thinking that it's a joke and then it's obviously not a joke. And I feel like with certain, certain things in witchcraft, you know, you, you got to, your intent needs to matter. you got to know where you're coming from. And I think there's a lot of good lessons with that. So that would probably be the one that I would pick out of everything. And then in terms of literature, which obviously we're talking about, um, I'm going to have to go with Shirley Jackson's We Have Always Lived in the Castle. I think that would probably... And again, they're not like the stereotypical witches. Yeah. They're kind of two women who are, you know who are isolated and the town kind of deems them witches. And maybe they are and maybe they're not. Um, But they would kind of flirt with that archetype a little bit in a way that I think is pretty spot on for, especially when we think about, like, the burning times and the witch trials and stuff like that, why people were called witches and stuff like that. I think that
0: would probably be pretty historically accurate. Just from the, like, isolated town outsider aspect of it. I mean, Mary also has her, like, little things she does outside her little rituals. (laughs) i know she's so cool i just
1: i I love her and it's it's neat because they both kind of fit these like two different versions of the witch, you know, like Mary like you said, she kind of like, she has these rituals that she thinks will keep her safe and keep her sister safe. So she's running around and, you know, putting stuff, nailing stuff to trees and yeah. digging up snakes. And, you know, she has her three powerful words. And then Constance is more of a kitchen witch, you know, she likes being in the house. She likes playing with herbs. She knows all the mushrooms, you know, she, she likes to cook and and kind of, you know, use her magic that way. So it's neat to kind of see how you have like the wild and the domestic, like they both need those parts of each other to survive and to coexist and take care of each other. So it's a neat way that Jackson kind of both put herself in the book, but also showed different versions of what a witch can be.
0: Oh, I love that.
1: (laughs) I'm obsessed with Shirley Jackson. I can talk about it forever. So please tell me to shut (laughs)
0: up. good witch movies are there there's a lot I feel like
1: yeah I you know I was sitting here and I was trying to think of you know some of the more recent ones so definitely if you haven't seen Pie Wacket*, I would definitely check that out because that didn't have a huge release um I'm sure most people have seen The Witch and Midsommar by now um there was um a movie I think it came out in 26 20- 17, and I'm going to butcher the name of it, but it, I'm pronouncing it like how it looks like you would spell it, <laughs> but it looks like it's Haguza. Um, H-A-G-A-Z-U-S-S-A. And it's a very ambiance forward movie. It's very graphic. Um, so like all the trigger warnings for like sexual assault and violence and stuff like that. Um, but it's, it's a very dark witchy type of movie. So I think if you can watch those types of things without it affecting you, I definitely think that would be something to jump into. Um, and then some other ones that maybe people have it looked at through the witchcraft lens. Um, so Rosemary's baby as a witch movie, um, the autopsy of Jane Doe as a witch movie. Um, even hereditary. I think everybody kind of looks at hereditary as like religious horror, kind of in a way, or just kind of like a cult horror, which of course it is. Um, but if we look at that strictly through the lens of the witch and kind of what that means for sexuality and gender and things like that, we can definitely pull a lot from that film as well. And then a film that kind of highlights men as the witch would be the ritual, I think would be a good one to kind of look oh, yeah. at. Because you're getting a lot of like Pagan folk horror tropes throughout that, but you're also getting a lot of interesting witch vibes as well. So, those might be some cool ones to like revisit looking at through a different lens.
0: That would be good. I mean, there's so much intertwined within like culty folk horror and like witchiness. So, like, also Harvest Home, I think, would be like a really good one I'm for them. that. <laughs> I love the new Suspiria too. Oh my gosh. Yes. So, you know what? I, I I
1: remember like I watched it at like I started watching it at like 2 a.m. I made sure everybody like the dogs were asleep in the house. Dennis was nowhere (laughs) to be found. And I just like sat down in my living room and watched it and was like sobbing because I just it's so perfect and creepy and beautiful and terrifying. It's yeah, absolutely. Very seldom do I like the remakes
0: more than the original. But oh, my gosh, that 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 one just wins. (laughs) I think so, too. It's. It's so long though. It's like three hours.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's a
0: whole it's a whole evening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or a morning in my case. But yeah. <laughs> I know. Not horror, but I do love practical magic. That's like my cozy like, witch movie. We actually
1: when I taught it at Point Park, we watched it and it was funny because we we had been doing all of this really dark, like intense literature and then we watched practical magic and it was kind of this like unspoken like Okay, we needed that. <laughs> we needed some like lighthearted magic to kind of bring us back, back to a safe place again. <laughs> but yeah, practical magic is great. I, li- I like um, like I Married a Witch, Bell, Book and Candle, which are kind of some older ones. Um, even those I think are are like cute to watch. And they're good. Like if you're really getting into the archetype of the witch, you definitely have to check those ones out.
0: You notice any changing attitudes towards the witch character like through the decades?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think even like I can remember even like when I was younger, when like Roald dolls witches came out, like witches were supposed to be scary. They were evil. They were frightening. Um, and they still can be that. <laughs> like, absolutely. Um, but it was very much like there wasn't any type of redemption to the witch. Like it wasn't somebody that you wanted to connect with. Um, And I think over the past maybe, like, 10 years or so, as we've kind of seen this, like, rise in, like, more people going towards, like, spirituality and, like, non-traditional and non-denominational paths and stuff like that, um, Mm -hmm. as well as kind of the witch kind of rising up and kind of becoming this symbol for empowerment. And I think a lot of that has to do you know, politically and stuff like that with some movements that have been happening, you know, with the Me Too movement, with feminism, like all of these conversations, Black Lives Matter, like all of this, the witch is kind of, you know, she's taking, she's she's rising up again because, you know, she is... Stereotypically, the outsider. She's the one that was wrong. She's the one that always had to fight. She's the one that has continued to survive and survive despite oppression, despite, you know, whatever people have done to her. And so she kind of becomes this figure that people want to connect with and be because she is, you know, the definition of survival of you know, becoming the strongest version of yourself and rising from the flame. She's like the phoenix. Um, and so I think we're seeing that more and more in literature and film. And I think Eager's film, The Witch, is the perfect example of that. You know, Thomason was constantly oppressed and attacked by her family and verbally abused and literally locked away. And you know, was she a witch when the film started? I I, I don't know, maybe, maybe not. But she certainly was by the end of it. Um, And it is kind of this like, Freedom, Like, you know, she's rising, she's rising above patriarchy, rising above her oppression, and she's, you know, she's becoming whole and becoming herself. So I think, you know, we've gone from the witch being something terrifying and evil to the witch being something really positive, which I think is really cool, Um, especially because like, even in situations like Carrie, where, you know, she is typically this evil kind of witch, uh, who you know, takes out a rage, but she's also... You know, she doesn't understand her power. She doesn't understand what's going on. She's been horribly kind of traumatized. And this is kind of her way of asking for help without asking for help. Like you can kind of look at her character as you know, when I when I read it, I don't really see Carrie so much as the uh, as the villain. Like it's her mother. To me, I yeah. think Margaret White is a thousand percent the villain. And Carrie's just kind of, you know, the collateral damage and things. Um, so I don't know that a lot of us Connect or look up to Carrie, but like, you know, that idea of the enraged woman, of like somebody fighting back, even if it's the like, she's almost kind of like the new final girl in some in some ways, um, which is kind of neat seeing that enraged, you know, you know, archetype kind of throughout film and literature. So I yeah. kind of, I kind of did that.
0: I've always related to Carrie. I don't know what that says she's, about me.
1: It doesn't say anything bad about you. <laughs> She's I think we all just want to like hold Carrie and be her friend. But I, you know, yeah, I kind of those like the females on fire, like even portrait of a lady on fire of a woman on fire. I Can't remember the exact title. Like that movie is beautifully witchy. That would be another good one for people to watch who are interested in like accurate portrayals. Um, And that you can you know, you literally have a woman on fire. You have like women who are trying to help each other when there's nothing kind of no other turns to make and I, I kind of I like I like angry women Yeah, <laughs> women in my films I like angry women in my books like I'm here for it so the more rage that's on the page like that's that's what's gonna get me <laughs> I
0: love that more rage on the page yeah <laughs> it's my tagline from now <laughs> I love it well should we talk about some witchy books yeah this episode is brought to you by libro fm Libro FM is the first and only company which lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. You can pick from more than 150,000 audiobooks, including bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers. You'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name. But you'll be part of a different story, one that supports community. If you're new to audiobooks, they're the perfect way to get more books into your busy life. Listen during your commute, while doing chores, walking the dog, or just relaxing at home. All you need is a smartphone and the free Libro FM app. If you already love audiobooks and don't know what to listen to next, check out recommendations and curated lists from people who know audiobooks best booksellers. I mean, and us. We also have a playlist on there full of books that have been recommended on this podcast. Books in the freezer special offer. You get 2 audiobooks for the price of 1, just 14.99 with your first month of membership using code freezerbook. This offer is valid for new members in Canada and the United States. Thank you Libro FM for supporting the show. So I wanna talk about my first pick, which is We Ride Upon Sticks by Quan Berry. This is about a group of teen girls in a town right outside of Salem in the nineteen eighties. They are at a field hockey camp and they aren't doing well, so they turn to the power of witchcraft by all they all rip off like pieces of fabric and they all create this blue armband and they write their name in this Emilio Estevez notebook. And they are like, we have power now. And they start winning matches. Like they start doing very well. And I love this book because it's written in like a plural first person. So everything is like, we, we did this. We are just this collective group, but it has like 10 or 12 main characters. So you follow each of them and you see everything that each like Person is going through and you follow them but it's still this collective we and as they start like you go through their season and as they start winning more games uh they then become convinced that they have to feed the power by doing bad things and following their urges and like you see that they kind of start to like free themselves from the expectations that people have of them because they're like well actually like i have to feed the power and if we're gonna win this game i like have to do this (laughs) thing that i feel like doing and i mean so far it is one of my favorite reads of the year um it's very ya in that it has like you know how ya has those things where like uh in english class we're reading great expectations so like the things in the story are gonna mirror the plot of great Expectations. so they are reading the crucible and they like mention it a lot and it's like a reference point for like a lot of the things they say and one of the girls like tries out and is like in the play of the crucible and I just love it. It's also very 80s. I mean, yeah, like the Emilio Estevez thing. And one of the girls has a like a hair like the bang claw. And they are all convinced that it has like supernatural powers. <laughs> okay. So great. It's like capitalized like the claw. <laughs> I love it. Uh, but there's also just like real stuff that there is dealing with. You know, this is 80 suburbia and there's uh, people dealing with racism or like, you know, being adopted into like a family of a different race, living with like a single mother and like a bunch of different things that they're all dealing with. But I feel like with this collective voice, it's like they're all dealing with it together and having this like collective experience. And I just had so much fun with it. <laughs> I love it because it's kind of like... It's kind of like their own little coven. Like that
1: Yes. It kind of Did you read um I think it's The Babysitter's Coven?
0: No, that was on my list.
1: I re- I read that a little while ago and it was really cute. I
0: I liked it. So if that it might that might be something cool to kind of pair with that one. I will have to pick that up next. Uh This is very room temperature. I honestly wouldn't really even call it horror, but it had a lot of, you know, references and elements of it. And it was such a fun story. But it was, you know, very room temperature, very fun, and just a great story about these female friendships. That is We Ride Upon Sticks by Kwan Berry. Uh, I'm going to have to check that out. That sounds great. (laughs) I guess if
1: I was going, I'm going to just start with my all-time favorite and just... Just go for it. So, Circe by Madeline Miller is probably, oh my gosh, it, it might be one of my favorite books. I wouldn't say it's like in my top three because those are pretty, those are pretty solidified for me these days. <laughs> um, but it's it's definitely in my top five. I read it a couple years ago, and it is this you know, magical, fantastical retelling of Cersei. So we kind of get, you know, a less than lovely portrayal of her in the Odyssey. <laughs> um, and we don't really get to even see her that much in the Odyssey. We kind of just know her as, you know, the woman who's turning men into pigs. And don't get me wrong, she does that here too, but we get <laughs> we get a little bit more um more of her backstory, her origin story. It's it's very much a feminist retelling of who she is. Who she's becoming. Um, We get to see her journey. She pretty much goes through almost all of the archetypes that I mentioned, like the hunted, the isolated, um, the enraged, and the fabled. We get to kind of see her go through these transitions until she finds out, like, you know, who she is, who she was meant to be, and kind of this best, most complete version of herself. Um, And it's filled with you know there's there's romance there's monsters there's these like wonderful hero and anti-hero journeys throughout you get to meet different gods and goddesses and kind of learn a lot of their mythology and folklore as well so i think if you're somebody who's who's into like into folklore and retellings and stuff like that cersei is absolutely going to blow your mind about it cuz you're going to learn a lot while you read too but i think it also kind of It makes us question, again, who the witch is, Um, because, again, I think we all have this, you know, this idea of who she is when we're very young. And then this book really challenges that from a lot of different perspectives. So I felt like um, while I was reading it, I got to know like a completely different character and one that I really could see myself in and associate with. Um, so room temperature wise, this one's blowing off the thermometer for me. Like I absolutely, <laughs> absolutely loved it. I can't recommend it enough. Um, and honestly, anything by Madeline Miller, um, she has an Achilles book out. That's really great. Um, she's, she's just an overall really good author for like these witchy, uh, folkloric
0: type of retellings. I still have to read Cersei, but I did love Song of Achilles.
1: <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. So Oh, uh, you'll have to let me know when you read Cersei. Honestly, I it's, will. it's like, it's almost like you're reading long form poetry at some point. It's like, it, the, it's just so lyrical and just like, it, it feels like a spell. That's the best way that I can kind of describe it. It's like a very long spell that you're reading.
0: <laughs> okay, I will have to do that. I know I loved Song of Achilles. So I don't know like why I've waited so long or why I've put it off. I think maybe it's because I feel like I need to like reread, the odyssey to like have a little more context for like who she was, but I will do that too. Just (laughs) have the full experience. (laughs) Okay, so my next pick is going in a little bit of a different direction, but it is Hex by Thomas Old Hoivolt. And this is translated from the Dutch by Nancy Forrest Flyer. So I feel like we've been talking about these like positive portrayals of like empowered women. And this is very much which is the antagonist. She is terrible and she is holding this whole town hostage. (laughs) (laughs) What I like to hear. So a lot of witch stories do lean into the urban fantasy side. I would say this one is very much in the horror camp. Uh, An isolated town, Black Spring, is haunted by a 17th century woman whose eyes and mouth are sewn shut. The town is cursed. And basically, all who live there can never leave. There are systems in place to sway away new potential residents. And that's actually how the book opens. It's like this couple looking at this house, and you just see someone in a control room kind of like, nope, get them out, like engage this protocol like trying to get these people out of there and they end up moving in and they're like well we tried to stop you now you live here and you're cursed and you can never leave so you probably should have just left sucks to suck here you are <laughs> you probably should have listened to the 17 red flags that we are like trying to put up in front of your face <laughs> um This follows the basically new generation. So the teens in the city are very tired of the restrictions and try to push back against the ancient curse because, you know, they have been born into this curse. They were born into this town. They can never leave. And you see how this curse is integrated into this modern society. Like there is an app and everyone just kind of knows where the witch shows up because she just shows up. Like there's also a scene where a family is having dinner and she just shows up in the living room and the mom just puts, like, a tea towel on her face so they don't have to, like, look at her while they're eating dinner, but they can't, like, move her. They just... It's about how everyone basically just has to, like, live around this curse and everyone's just like whatever about it but you know this new generation is like no like why don't we fight back why don't we try to like outsmart her or like get rid of this lady and like have us leave um and it's about what happens when they do that and I thought it was interesting because it you know really gets into the (laughs) the angst that this uh new generation has and then I thought it really did a great job of kind of going into the hysteria that can happen in these isolated small towns and kind of mirroring the hysteria and accusations that happened during the witch trial era and the just the description of the witch is just so eerie and that her like mouth is sewn shut because if you like unsew her mouth she's like says these incantations and she like drives people to suicide like she is just like scary <laughs> <laughs> she is, uh... I gotta get <laughs> to that book I've
1: had it on my shelf forever and I think it's like one of those things where I'm just so excited to read it that like
0: I don't read it because I always <laughs> want it there as that I don't know if that makes sense maybe I'm just crazy <laughs> oh, you know, I have I have so many books on here like that where i'm like i should have read it by now i know i will like it but it's just there for me right now for the one day i decide to get to it yes <laughs> <laughs> uh so for this one for me it was a fridge. there was some genuinely like scary imagery and like i said for like a witch story where i we see like witches antagonist it was like ugh. <laughs> (laughs) like scary getting into like the things that she could do and the the way that these teens were thinking that they could outsmart the system um despite you know everyone telling them that it's just not possible it's not yeah let it go just live with it's not that bad we just can't leave (laughs) uh so it was just i thought very interesting so that is hex by thomas oldwood Built. It was translated by Nancy Forrest Flyer. And I know a big thing is the original Dutch has a different ending than the American ending. And I don't know what it is. <laughs> so if someone out there knows what it is, just tell me. Just email it to me. Yeah, I Don't, don't read tell Dutch. me I haven't read it yet. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I think the next one that I want to talk about, um, kind of change things up and go to YA a little bit on my end, is Root Magic um, by Eden Royce. Um so this one came out not too long ago and it's basically I think it's a really smart book for children to read um it's very diverse it's very inclusive um it's highlighting you know, root work and hoodoo and stuff like that, Um, which honestly, I I really don't know if I had ever even heard of until I became an adult. So I think to see that in a chill, like, you know, in a young adult, middle grade type of book, I think is absolutely brilliant because it's highlighting cultures. It's kind of removing those stereotypes and it's giving, you know, a really accurate portrayal of different cultures and practices, which I just again, I just think is really cool. And so it follows, you know, a brother and sister um, that are slowly starting to learn root magic from their family who, you know, their lineage, they've always been root workers, it's always been kind of part of who they are. But now they're kind of, you know, having the, the mirror shattered, if you will, and they're actually starting to learn, like, what it is, what it can do, why people are doing root to begin with, and when that glass is shattered, it's like their whole world opens up and they start seeing things that they'd never noticed before and they start understanding why protective magic is a thing and they start learning about what's actually hiding in the swamp and, you know, they're kind of, they're they're just seeing a whole different world and you're seeing this through the eyes of kids, which is really, you know, kind of fun because there's like a comedic element that goes along with the fear that I think is really smart. Um, But you're also seeing, you know, these these two children are being... um, they're going pretty much to an all white school. So they're one of the last schools that was kind of being segregated after Brown versus the board of education and all of that. And you're seeing kind of how people look at them as, um, as children, as people, as root workers, like you're, you're, you're seeing them actively fight against segregation and stereotypes and black magic, honestly. And I, I, kind of want to talk about that just a little bit because there is this like huge problem I think in the witchcraft kind of community or the way that it's portrayed especially in horror where black magic is bad and white magic is good and we even kind of see that in the craft which I think is everybody's kind of like introduction to like witchery Um, you know they go to this the supernatural store and there's a curtain with the white witch in the back and she's like I'll protect you and Nancy's you know Taking books and running away and summoning, you know, all hell's breaking loose. And so you kind of get this division that, you know, its roots are very racist. And I think to have a book, especially again, that's coming out for children that's tackling this head on and showing and kind of bringing awareness to that very type of problematic systemic racist issue, both in like real life and in spirituality, I think is amazing. Um, and it's something that's kind of tackled throughout the entire book with the police and the community and stuff. So I think, you know, as, as a spooky book, it's like, it's YA, so it's not going to be terribly horrifying, but there's a lot of really good scares in it that I liked. Um, and I think is kind of a teaching toll um, as a good, re- like a good way to show how horror can handle real-life things and use it as a teaching tool and how that kind of validates the genre a bit more for people who are kind of skeptical and on the line. I think this book is absolutely fantastic for that. So I'd say, you know, temperature-wise, I- I'd put it a little bit above room temp, honestly, just because um, I think of all the good it does. But the horror that is in the book is actually, like, I was pretty take it like I was kind of surprised like for YA I was like okay like there's there's some like scary like poppet things that happen like the swamp is terrifying like even while I was reading it at night I was like okay we're we're just going there like that's impressive so yeah it um it's it's really good so that would definitely have my seal of approval for it <laughs> nice.
0: it is interesting because I feel like every culture has a type of witchcraft mm-hmm now, do you touch on that in your class a bit? So
1: the the book that I usually um the book that I usually teach, like when I'm doing like a fifteen week uh, course is I Black Witch of Salem. And that's by Mary C. Condy. And it's it's creative nonfiction. I, I don't even know really how I would describe it because we don't really know what happened to Tituba in the Salem witch trials. Like we know she was imprisoned. We know she was sold and then she kind of just disappears. Um, And a lot of that has to do with her being a slave and her, you know, coming overseas and all of this stuff. Um, And Mary C. really did a lot of research to kind of highlight Tituba's culture and kind of, again, bring, um, bring some education to what it was that she practiced and like, you know, it, was she practicing hoodoo? Was she practicing witchcraft? Does that matter? I think it does like all of this kind of stuff about just kind of her race, her ancestry, her lineage. And she kind of gives us Tituba's life, um, a fictionalized version, but one that's really based off a lot, a lot, a lot of research. Um, and so I really like to use that book as like a stepping stone, um, and I was really lucky because the first time I taught the class, I actually had a couple students who practiced hoodoo And I even had another student whose family um, practiced voodoo as well. And, wow. and voodoo is being like, you know, a closed practice and stuff like that. And you, and I would say hoodoo, you know, it's more eclectic. So I I don't know if it's technically a closed practice, but it's not something that I'm going to, you know, as a white woman, go jump head into and like not without any type of understanding. And these girls were just they were so wonderful about kind of sharing their experiences and kind of bringing that into the class um, and kind of talking about how it contradicts or works against or is similar to other types of witchcraft. So I think um, I try to bring some of that into my classes when I'm when I'm teaching them, but never for me. I will always point students, um, you know, to a better source that's like Practice and into it and stuff like that. I'll I'll let them know that it exists, but like in terms of teaching it, that's gonna come from the people who actually practice it.
0: Okay. okay, so I've had a few witchy videos pop up on my for you page on TikTok, and I've heard the term closed practice thrown around. What does that mean?
1: Yeah, so closed practice means it has your it has to be a like a family thing. Like it's something like you're from that specific place. It's taught to you by a certain, like you're initiated. It's, it's just for them. Like I could never practice voodoo. I don't have the ancestors behind me for that. I don't have a way in. It's not part of my culture. Like that is just for, um, for those people to practice it. Um, some people will disagree with me and say (laughs) that I could, um, I, I, I very strongly disagree with that, um, but to each their own. I, I think most people would say like that's a closed practice, like leave it to to that specific group. Um, witchcraft is something that's more eclectic, um, so every anybody can kind of practice that. But voodoo, you really have to have the family lineage and connection to the land and, and everything like that, um, in order to be able to to make those types of connections. Oh,
0: okay. That makes sense. All right, so my final pick is an anthology and it is Hex Life, Wicked Tales of New Witchery, edited by Christopher Golden and Rachel Autumn Deering. And there was a ton of really fun stories in here. Like I was looking through the table of contents again, and I'm like, well, I'm only gonna pick like a few to kind of talk about, but I had a hard time even narrowing it down. But I love the little introductory story by Kat Howard called Invitation to a Burning. And then the story that follows right after that is Widow's Walk by Angela Slatter. And it's about this small town and this house that is just full of these like witchy widows who are like looking out for this girl and like take her in. I don't know. It was just like very cozy and cute. Just like this whole house, this whole house of just like all these women. Um, And there was such a range in like the styles like there were the more like cozy classical witchy stories. There were some stories that I think were part of a bigger literary universe that like you were just getting a little snippet of. And then there were some that were a little more horror like which is the antagonist (laughs) type of story. So they were like all over the place and I loved it. Um. Like uh, Jennifer McMahon wrote one called The Dear Wife. Um, there was a really funny one by Hillary Monaghan called Bless Your Heart. And it was like you mentioned earlier, like a kitchen witch uh, getting back at a PTA mom after her son gets bullied. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> that was really, really, really good. good. <laughs> um, and then one of the creepier ones was by Tanana Du called Last Stop on Route 9. And it's like two siblings on their way to a funeral. And then they're suddenly on a road that shouldn't exist and that they've heard is like haunted by a witch so that was one of the more like creepier ones um rating wise this was all over the place so I don't tend to give temperature ratings to like big anthologies with like multiple authors because it's like (laughs) everyone went a different way with it but (laughs) i had a lot of fun with it this had been on my tbr for a long time and i'm really glad i finally like picked it up and got around to it i love anthologies yeah it's a good one uh that's hex life wicked tales of new witchery yeah it was fun it was a fun one staring at it right now i really i need to
1: (laughs) i need to add that to my summer reading list (laughs) so i guess i kind of want to pick a book that's maybe a little atypical um, and it's a poetry collection um, called The Nightgown and Other Poems um, by Katiskia Katiskiakaya. I think I'm pronouncing that right. If not, I'm sorry. Um, and it is this kind of delicious folkloric poetry collection where she kind of, talks about her own um, her own experiences, you know, coming over um, to, you know, to the United States and kind of learning to adapt to a new culture um, and how that kind of, like, changed her, you know, maybe her identity to the witch and kind of how the witch kind of shapeshifts within her. Um, and there's a lot of, like, really dark, beautiful, just creepy poems in here. Um, but there's also kind of these, like, surreal landscapes like kind of very Wonderland-esque poems um, and if you look up the book there's this huge fat boily blue frog <laughs> on the cover with this massive <laughs> tongue that's like intertwining the title um, and it's just it, it's such a cool image and it speaks well to kind of like you know what we associate with the witch and then kind of peeling it back to kind of see what she really is to tysia and it's really cool because this specific author also has a, um, oh, I'm trying to think how I would even describe it. It's kind of like a like a column, like an advice column, but it's a book and it's called Ask Baba Yaga. And it's really neat because what she does is she has, um, she has people write to her about any problems or anything that they have, or if they need advice on something. And then she responds to them as Baba Yaga. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Which I think is like the coolest thing in the world. And so I listened to a, um, a podcast on Pam Grossman's The Witch Wave, where she had her as a guest. And she said it was just really neat to kind of like conjure Baba Yaga, and like become her and kind of like build this relationship with this, you know, potentially really terrifying witch. Um, and so that's a lot of fun. And then she also is kind of um, one of the minds behind the literary or the um, the book literary witches and the Oracle deck literary witches, which is something that I use for my witch class. Um, So she's just kind of I mean, she's she's really somebody who's taught me to kind of look for the witch in different places, um, and to look at people and how they might identify with her. Um, and I think the nightgown is just, you know, it's a collection of poetry that really kind of brings all of that together. Um, so that would definitely be something if you're, if you're interested in starting out with her, I would start with her poetry collection and then kind of, you know, move on through the rest of her work. Um, because kind of similar to what you said about the anthology, because, you know, there are certain poems that I just completely am in love with. I I don't know that (laughs) giving this one a rating is like completely fair. Um, But I will say that, you know, I've read a lot of poetry so far this year, and this one has just continued to kind of stay with me. And the first poem in the book um, is called The Folklore. And it's something that I've come back and I have read just I don't even know how many times at this point. Like, if it's dark and creepy and stormy outside, I'm likely in my office reading that poem. <laughs> so it just
0: it has it has my highest recommendation. I will have to check that out. I know I had an Anne Sexton collection that was on my shelf that I picked up because you had it on the on the dock too as a possibility. So I have it there ready to go. And it was funny because before that, I think my only. Knowledge of her as a poet was from Gilmore Girls, where they break into the school and they like have their little ritual where they like break into the headmaster's office and they're like reading an Anne Sexton poem, which is kind of witchy as it is. Yeah.
1: Sexton's work, I just, you know, I think it, last night I finished reading her collected works and I just, like, I felt empty and scared. <laughs> and like, it just, I mean, I don't know how she would feel being called a witch. My suspicion is she would hate it <laughs> and not be a big fan. Um, but my gosh, like her, her poems are just, they're, they're horrifying in the best, most beautiful ways. But she, some of them, I, I just, there's, there's really no way that you can say that she's not at least invoking the witch in them. Like they're just, they're, so I, you'll have to let me know when you read it. Cause I'll be excited to talk about it.
0: <laughs> will, will yeah. do it. Uh, and I, one of my almost picks was goddess of filth by V Castro. And I, the only reason I didn't quite pick it was because I'm like, this is more of a possession story. But I was like, I feel like it's very witchy though. Like this group of girls getting together and they accidentally conjure up something that ends up possessing one of their friends. And she like becomes very empowered with this like Aztec spirit that takes her over that sounds oh, witchy to me. Yeah, so I was like, that was my like almost pick. So I'm ba- I'm sneaking it in there. Like I'm acting like I'm not. I'm sneaking it in here. It fits. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> well, something I like to ask all my guests is for a chilling obsession. So, what's something in horror that you've been enjoying lately? I know I'm going to catch so much shade for this. So I have only recently really started getting into creep show.
1: It's been one of like, I've been meeting to watch it like on shutter forever. And I, when it first came out, I watched house of the head by Mallerman. Um, And I loved it. Like I was like, this is like it literally was one of those things that just got inside of me and like shook me to my core because dolls freak me out. So that was like a really rough, (laughs) that was a really rough episode (laughs) for me. Um, but I loved it. And for whatever reason, I just I didn't watch anymore after that. Um, and so this I would say within the past like week or so I've got I've gone back and I've started watching it and I am completely completely obsessed now i finished the first season i was like getting out the old creep show movie i ordered the
0: creep you know pop funko like it's like part of my life (laughs) yeah it's a thing it's who i am did you start did you start the second season yet no i haven't oh my okay so the first episode has like a very pittsburgh-y episode and i was very excited
1: (laughs) Oh, man. Okay, so I'll probably watch it today, honestly, because once I start, I just can't stop. Like, I'm a horrible binger (laughs) for things like this, so I'll be sure to let you know. (laughs) Okay,
0: please do. Um, And then the newer tradition that we have is also asking our guests what their final girl song would be. Yeah, so this
1: one ended up being pretty easy. It came to me pretty fast. So I, I love in this moment. I got to see them in concert a couple years ago. So I would say my my final girl
0: song would be Black Widow. Okay, what are the vibes in that? Very Black Widow, like a woman who's going
1: to come (laughs) and like rip your head off and eat you after she has sex with you. (laughs) Like very much the whole like femme fatale. Like I'm, I'm here and I'm empowered and I'm not letting anybody
0: (laughs) come for me. (laughs) I can get with that. All right. Well, I will have to listen to it right after this episode and add it to the list. And thank you so much for (laughs) coming on here and talking with me about this. Thank you for having me. This is an absolute blast. (laughs) Where can people find you online?
1: Yeah. So I am on Twitter and Instagram as S.Y. Tovich. Um, I have my blog, which is sytovich at blogspot.com, or you could just look up, join me in the madhouse. And I do a lot of author interviews and just kind of some other like personal essays and stuff on there. And then my website is stephaniemytovich.com. And so you can find all my books and all kind of stuff, you know, about me and what I'm up to on there as well. (laughs)
0: Well, check that out. And thanks so much again (laughs) for coming on. My pleasure. Books in the Freezer is a biweekly podcast. We post episodes every other Tuesday. You can find us on Twitter at Books Freezer Pod, on Instagram at Books in the Freezer, and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Books in the Freezer. There is also a Facebook group if you would like to join that. And we're on TikTok now at Books in the Freezer if you're into that. If you would like to support the podcast, there are many ways of doing that. One way is to become one of our patrons over on Patreon. There is a one, three, and a $5 level with different things to offer at each level from early episode releases or knowing what next week's episode topic is going to be to Voxer group chats and movie nights and bonus episodes. So check that out if that interests you. Again, that is patreon.com slash books in the freezer and another way to support the show is to use the amazon link in the show notes you basically would just do your normal amazon shopping like you usually would you just click our link to get you there so the most interesting item purchased using the amazon link recently is a pair of birkenstocks which is awesome hope you are enjoying them You don't have to spend any money to support the show. Word of mouth is huge to small independent podcasts like this. So tell a friend about us, post about us on social media, and tag me. Because I will say one thing I miss from doing YouTube that is more difficult on podcasts is listener feedback because there's not just like a comment box on the bottom of episodes that everyone has access to so if you have something to say about the episode comment on the episode post on Instagram I would love to hear what you thought about it if you have a book that you think would be perfect for the episode things like that I would love to hear from you okay and like after recording this episode um In the beginning of the episode, Stephanie was talking about how there's things that we can kind of read as witch media, even though they aren't like explicitly witchy. So I kept trying to think of examples of things that would fit that mold. And I think Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants totally fits that. Please tell me that you agree with me. (laughs) Or tell me your own thing that you think could be read as witchy. I would love to hear it. Anyway, I am Stephanie. You can find me on Twitter at Lady underscore Ganya. That's L-A-D-Y underscore G-A-G-N-O-N or on Instagram at That's What She Read. And that's that's with two A's. Thank you so much and see you next time on Books in the Freezer.